Welcome to Role Models for Change, a series of conversations with social entrepreneurs and other innovators working on the front lines of some of the world's most pressing problems. SM Dowd co-funded Humanity Crew in 2015 to provide first response mental health and psychosocial support for refugees and people in crisis. Journalist Ray Suarez sat down with Dowd to hear more about his unique inverted pyramid approach to mental health support and how communities have the capacity to heal themselves. What's the ideal setting for treatment of a child? I think it's prevention than treatment. Uh, treatment is you need to deal with the problem. I think that we can prevent this and it's much easier and cheaper and, uh, and also it's less harmful the children development. So uh, it's prevention actually. Well, I mean, if in your work as a, a psychiatrist, how would you describe the best way if in your normal practice in Haifa, what would, a, what would a clinical setting be like if you were going to treat a child? You need to be there for him. I think uh, being is the, um, is, the, uh, is the most important thing in, in, uh, in working with children, being within the room um, uh, as a human being, as a therapist, to give him the space where he can express himself because uh, most of the children, I believe that children, all children born okay, we, the adults, just make something bad for them that make them not okay. So the therapist fir- first thing need to be that good model of, of you know, of a, a, a caring adult that will be there for him in the room. How would you compare the way children are seen when they come rolling ashore in the Greek islands from across the Mediterranean? It's difficult because um, you have to be there so um, to, to, to really feel it. Um, they don't cry. Uh, most of the people think that they cry. Um, if they are crying, like there is children for sure that they are crying, but they are the good, like, and there's the minority. The majority don't cry. They cry all the way and then they stop. Uh, because crying is an alarm for the environment, for the adults, for the parents, that there's something wrong. And when the alarm's not working, you know, the alarm just stops. And, uh, and they use more, uh, you know, strong defense mechanism of, of just split and just be, you know, just the body. And the soul and the mind just go beside and, and there is no connection. And, and this is the, the, the core of, of developing of a, a post-traumatic stress disorder in the future when you're just dealing with the body and there is no mind anymore in the shore. A lot of these children, haven't they already suffered tremendously even before they got on a boat back home in a city, a village in Syria? Uh, haven't they seen things? Haven't they experienced things? that uh, no seven-year-old, eight-year-old in the world should ever see. Totally, but uh, that doesn't mean that we, do not, or we don't need to intervene in, in the shore. If we can help at that point and to make less trauma for them, we have to. 
uh, what they suffer all the way it's 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 um, you know it's a huge it has a huge impact on them and that's why also we don't see the classical PTSD you know that is known in the states with all the veterans for, for example coming back from Iraq and uh, we see something called the complex PTSD which is not written in you know in the, in the western book it's not part of the DSM-5 which is like our bible for the psychiatry uh, which is what we are talking about. It's the complex PD is part of, you know, it's a, a, res a result of this ongoing trauma that's not just uh, one single trauma. And, and the work with complex PTSD is totally different and hard. You say it's not even in the DSM-5 yet. How does it present? What, what's, what do these children have in common? Uh, they mistrust the culture, the environment, the community. Uh, the parent, um, uh, the parent object. It's not because the parents are, you know, the, the guilty or not there, but because the trauma that the parents suffer from make them um, not there for the children. So we have a lot of attachment issues, a lot of cognition uh, problems, uh, cognitive problems because of, you know, when the trauma occurs in. in uh, um, in, in early age, it, it also affects the developmental um, uh, process of the children. Um, a lot of somatic uh, symptoms and disorders. Um, and and it's, it's complicated. It's like affect the whole, uh, um, you know, spectrum of life. When you're dealing with a young child who already has this complex collection of problems where do you begin can you create a, a hierarchy of problems what do you s try to work on first first about the community I think um, in the refugee crisis uh, especially come to Europe and to the West to the US and Australia um, we are dealing with refugees coming from the Middle East Africa Afghanistan Pakistan work talking about a total different uh, culture, which is a culture that built on uh, the collectivism. It's not about the individual. And the, the power of the community is, is, is so strong that can really heal people. Um, and the, their well-being is actually attached to the community. So the first thing we need to do is to create the community again. And then we need to start working with the people. But the, the Western approach of psychology, that it's based on you know, the individual well-being, doesn't work for refugees. We need to address them as a group. We need not just to be sensitive to their uh, culture and mentality. We need to be competent for this. We need to work through their mentality, not against it. I agree that we need to empower women, but is it the right place to do it on the shore or in the, in the transit camp when the alpha male that you know um, was ruling all his life now lost everything and now you are empowering his woman and leaving him aside because he's so violent and aggressive? He's not violent and aggressive. This is how depression in the East, we, I'm coming from there. We take it out. We don't do an uh, internalization process when we are depressed. We don't sit and say, oh, God, what happened to me? No, we become aggressive. We become a little bit of, uh, you know, agitated. This is, this is how depression in the East is. So we neglect 
the men and we focus on the women, for example, and this is how domestic violence just start to raise inside the, inside the camps. Is a camp in Greece different, more harmful, less harmful, than a camp on the border between Lebanon and Syria? Sure, totally. How so? Now that I think, if I'm not wrong with numbers, we're talking about one billion economy in the Zaatari camp, for example, in Jordan. People there are creating, uh, you know, their business and they are creating their life and, and they just revivit everything, uh, which is not happening in Greece. It's not because Greece or Europe is not allowing this. It's because the people are not uh, able to do this. And this is because of the, you know, the clashes between the two cultures. It's the, you know, what, what I'm saying all the time, what drives me crazy, these people who just cross seas and mountains and fight ISIS and Bashar and regimes and, and smugglers and Turks and whatever, name it. When they arrive to Greece, what the first thing we say to them? Oh, you are weak, you are refugees. Oh, please go, come here. I am the white man with the keys for everything. I will take care of you. You will use the wash machine just twice a week, or you can enter here. I will take care. No more power for him. We don't celebrate the strength of the refugees. So actually, we are part of the problem. It's not because we are you know, bad people. It's just because we don't understand the difference. And in, in, the, in the camps that are inside Syria or in even Turkey or in Jordan, it's totally different because it's the same community. There is no threat for my culture. There is no threat for my religion. I don't feel that I'm starting a new fight now. Um, so it's more easy for them to start their life again. You've written about and spoken about the many needs of people who land in Europe, but there's, there's just aren't enough psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists in the world to handle that level of all at once, hundreds of thousands of people coming. There are people who've suffered terrible trauma. There are people who maybe just need a small course of treatment, but there simply just isn't the supply of helpers uh, to meet that population. Must we just accept that there's going to be a high degree of untreated mental illness in these communities for a long time to come? I think that we are witnessing a catastrophe, like a mental health catastrophe for sure, but it's not because there is no enough people. In most of the camps, and maybe you will be surprised, there's enough uh, people and mental health, uh, mental health support uh, for, for, for the refugees, but there is no referral system. Mm. When a psychologist enter a camp and open his, you know, his caravan and wait for people to come, he is coming from different culture. He, uh, you know, expect people coming from Iraq or Syria to come and tell him I am depressed or traumatized. It doesn't work like this. You need to fight the stigma of the people towards mental health. You need also to, to acknowledge that people who are depressed are, are less active, are uh, feeling shame, which, shame and guilt, which is part of the, of the depression disorder. So you need 
to have a referral system. In our daily life, we have this referral system. If you feel a little bit, you know, not good, you can go to your, uh, you know, family doctor and, you know, the social worker or someone. And you can, you know, one will, if he can't help you, will send you to another one, another one, and then you will reach the one-on-one -on -one session or you will use, reach the psychiatrist. But you knew, when you have like a three psychologists in a camp of 500, it's enough. It's even too much. The thing is that you don't, we don't have the referral system. And also, you don't have the power of the community. So what would that, uh, ideally, what would that look like? How would that work? If you could, you know, arrive at one of these places and say, here I am. I want to set up a system that's going to work, that's culturally relevant, that meets the needs of people who are not going to drop in voluntarily. What would it look like? I did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us what you did. It's called the inverted pyramid. The inverted pyramid is when you arrive to a camp where there's no referral system for mental health, and you start with the community. We, you start with, with everyone. You start setting the rules and, and the rules of the communication. I'm not the regular volunteer who will stay with you up until four in the morning. I am not the someone who will give you money and feel pity on you and mercy and say, oh, you are poor. No, I am here as a service provider. I am here as a human to human. This is what you deserve. This is why they pay me money. This is why there is a funds goes for mental health. First, let's build the community. Let's have elections so you can have represent yourself. Let's see what's your right. Let's do, uh, if you are a teacher, you can teach. If you are a, you know, a hair artist, please open a store. Let's create the community because the community can heal itself, especially, especially for people who are coming from the East, from a, a, a culture that is about and based on the collective well-being. And when you create the community and the community start functioning by, you know, doing, bringing food, for example. It's much easier and it's much also, you know, I can, f it's photographed well if I bring pizza for everyone. You know, maybe the funds will like it and give, oh, he feeds 1,000 people. But no, if I bring thyme and olive oil and, and za'atar and I bring it to the camp and make the people make their food, they can come together, they will celebrate. The smell has a power. You know, if, I, if you smell now a coffee, you immediately will remember like a nice memories that happened to you. So if you bring olive oil or something that can make them remember home, Syria, so it's, you will reactivate the good memories, not the bad ones. So all these community activities, creating the community again, the, the together, it can heal a lot, a lot of the problems. Then, by living the community, you will detect the, the groups that are vulnerable, not the, the individuals. Then you can go for an, another level of focused group for women, for young adults, for children and parents, for only a, a minors, for example. And from these groups that will be a, a, a moderated by social workers and, and professionals, you can go for and, and you know, uh, detect the vulnerable cases and go for one-on-one -on -one session with psychologists or refer it to the psychiatrist. And we saw that with three to four professionals and a group of trained volunteers, you can give a full service of mental health support to 500 people in one camp, for example, in Dievata in Saloniki in 2016. So it's not about that there is not enough. It's about that 
there is no referral system. And this referral system, when we create it, it needs to be culturally adapted to the people. If trauma, if PTSD goes untreated in young children, does that change the teenager will eventually see, the adult will eventually see? Yes, but it's very important for me just to, it's not just about PTSD, any other mental health issues, even that what we call the soft psychiatry or the soft disorders, also can do a lot of harm in the future. You know, suffering from mental health issues in the future, it just will, you know, it will affect your level of education, of how much you will be involved in the new society, your ability to go back and rebuild your country. No one wants to stay in the U.S. or in Europe. Look at the refugees for now, the Palestinians, for after 70 years, they still need to go, want to go back. No one want to stay away from home. So even if you are a right-wing hate, you know, everyone and a stranger, you still need to invest mental health in these people because they will go back when they feel, feel strong and they can rebuild their country again. I all the time say that terror, for example, and extremists, they do not recruit people. It's, it's wrong. They fill gaps. They fill gaps. They sell narrative to people that doesn't have narrative. Uh, a young 18, 19 years old Syrian now in Athens or in, in, in Berlin that just, you know, sit in, a, in the middle of the square doing nothing, just using drugs and have nothing, to, to, to no meaning. You know, his mental health is, is bad, he's traumatized, he's depressed, he's using drugs now, it's not working, there's no meaning. You don't, you, it's, for, it's not right to say that they, he have been recruited, for example. It's very easy. They fill the gap, and mental health, it's a, it's a huge gap that, that in the future, terror and extremists will, will fill. It sounds as if you're making a case for mental health to be higher on the list of things we have to worry about, along with fresh water and shelter and reliable food and so on, that we can't forget the role that mental health plays among people who have been uprooted from their homes? You know, there is a lot of uh, nice says by and quotes by like philosophers all over the what makes us different, the humans from animals or I don't know from, I think what makes us different from a machine is just our soul. What the difference between a car and a human being? It's our soul and mind. And it's, it's, it's not right, even in our daily life, that we don't give the same part of and the same efforts that we give to the body needs to give it also to the soul and the mind. And, and, and especially for people who are on the move, um, you know, we, the people are suffering every day from this, you know, uh, disconnected from their home, from their, their rooms, memories and everything. And this is like, should be the first priority. I, I, you know, one of our missions, or our mission we, we, in Humanity Crew, the organization that I founded of mental health support, is to bring mental health to the forefront of the humanitarian crisis and to make it, uh, uh, you know, uh, a major component of all the humanitarian uh, aid uh, for people on the move. Um, and I think it should be, um, you know, um, a priority, yeah. There's a whole built-up network 
of interests, a built-up network of techniques, of approaches. Let's say uh, the United Nations High Commi Commission on Refugees. They have an approach. Can you bring them around to your way of thinking? Are you bringing them around to your way of thinking that mental health has to be higher on the list of things that we worry about? Recent years, there's, there's a shift. We are talking about mental health more. That's why I'm here. And I think that there is a huge awareness that raised up um, um, towards the mental health in general and mental health for refugees. But we still, um, there is still a huge, huge gap and, and lack of services. Uh, I think we can say that this is um, done when we know that it's the same efforts and the same budget will go for mental health as it will go for for uh, for you know all the other needs one of the pictures that all the time stuck in my head is that ch the children in Aleppo that was in the in the in the ambulance i don't know if you remember they like sitting like this and was just staring nothing and he was mm. covered with with dirt and i was telling myself god if i was there like the white helmets there they saved them this is they saved the child they did their job but i wasn't there we need to have another helmets there not just a helmet that protect you know the, the head it needs also to, to protect our mind if they give the, give me 5 minutes with them 10 minutes you know i can't just make him believe that this is not not something wrong this child doesn't have the capacity to understand what happened to him that's why he just was like this so if we were on site on real time and explain to him what happened explain the experience that had then we can not just ease the trauma or, or reframe it we can transform it to something else something positive you know when a child cry on the boat why he's crying if his parents was singing and dancing from turkey to greece he will also sing and dance he was crying because everyone cried no one told him anything if i told this child that he just get down from a boat or the child in the ambulance in aleppo I tell him a different story, that he's the hero who stopped the waves with his hands, for example, that he's the strong one who survived this bombing. I can put, at least if I couldn't transform it to something good, I can give him good memories that in the future, when there is any kind of free activation of this capsulated trauma, it will be also activated with the good memories. It sounds like you're saying you don't need that much time. That it's just when they get the therapy, not how much they get. That when they get it when, right when they're wounded, it's more effective. That we will go back to the first question. You asked me what's the best practice. I say prevention, not treatment. Treatment is a process, is an ongoing process. Treatment is something that takes years. Prevention is just an act. You need to act to prevent something, and that's it. It's not an ongoing. If we put an effort to be at these all these steps and levels of the children, especially, and also the adults that go through a, a, a lot of traumas and, and they are on the move. For example, now in Venezuela and Honduras, all these refugees just go around and cross borders and etc. If we, as mental health professionals, and also volunteers that train to provide first response mental health intervention we are there as we are there already 
but for just for the body. If we are there also for the mind and soul and we provide these very, you know, simple techniques for being with these people, we can prevent a lot, a lot of, of, of the mental health issues and disorders and we can really stop this catastrophe. It doesn't mean 100%, you know, there is no, uh, you know, um, success all the time, but you will prevent most of the, of, of, of the disorders and the problems in the future. You've come to be known by a lot of people through your work with refugees in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, but you mentioned Honduras, and I'm, I'm wondering if those situations, uh, a child whose mother takes him out of his school, out of his hometown, and tries to get to the United States, are they different from somebody who's been driven out of Aleppo or Homs by bombs or, or gunfire? For children, as a child psychiatrist and psychotherapist, it's, it's the same. Because children doesn't really understand, you know, it's bombing or ISIS or Daesh or poverty and, you know, um, Muduro and, and the other guy. They don't understand the differences. They understand that they are not there in their bed. Their, fam their parents are not happy, they are not loved, they don't hug them. They, are fe they feel the fear of the parents. They are cold, their needs are not you know, the emotional and the, and the body needs are not covered, they feel that there's something wrong. And then they can, you know, then the U.S.-Mexican border, they are also separated. So it's the same. Um, and that's why the intervention or the prevention is the same. Will that have consequences for the 20-year-old worker, the 30-year-old young father, if they're an 11-year-old who's not treated, who's an 11-year-old who doesn't have a Dr. Esam to give him some context, to give him some ways of processing this experience, are we just postponing real problems down the road? Yeah. It's, I, you know, with children, it's like you have like a huge big tree and a small bush, and you have a storm. You know, both will you know be affected by the storm but the the tree is strong enough it has the good roots the healthy roots it will recover and this is the adults the problem with the children that they're still young these trauma will be imprinted in their brain they will affect their cognition their their working memory their their way of thinking uh, you know the frontal the frontal lobe will change in their brain, they, how they act, their attention, everything. And, and, and this will make them, you know, not the people that used to be, need to be or can be. We just decrease the potential of, 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 of you know, uh, of them being an active member of the society, a productive one. It doesn't mean they will not die for sure. Maybe they will be, you know, a hard worker, but they can be more not just by achieving academically, but, but as, as their well-being and uh, the way they will act with problems and, uh, and violence and etc. You mentioned the frontal lobe. Uh, do these experiences in childhood actually cause a physical change down at the neurological level? Yeah, it's known, yeah, for sure. Um, most of the changes are in our frontal lobe, which is like our brake system. 
um, all the attention, the working memory, the abstraction of things, the, the span of attention, all of this uh, change. Um, and and, uh, and we, we saw this, there's the, the, the ACE study, one of the biggest uh, studies in the US about uh, child trauma. And it's, it's known and it's uh, proven that um, even small incidents and trauma experiences in the childhood can affect even the mortality rate and uh, body disease and not just the, the, the brain uh, development. When we d deal with populations of children like this, isn't there going to be a range of what we see uh, presenting? Some kids who seem to be more resilient than others, some kids who, um, okay, fine, they, they're not in school for a year, a year and a half, then you send them back to school and they seem to be okay, uh, while some other kids really kind of unravel. Isn't there some variation in the ability to withstand some of these terrible experiences? This is our minds and souls. We are not machines. It's not like, you know, if, uh, if your Mercedes-Benz has a problem, it will exactly behave the same on all the Benz. And, and children, it's, it's, um, it's a war. They, they will act different. And uh, it depends, and you, you say that the magic word, resilience. You know, resilience is, there's three components of resilience. is being capable, loved, and safe. So um, if your parents were less traumatized and they were more resilient and they can provide you these three things, you will be more strong if you were in the way, uh, you know, you met them, all the wonderful NGOs, IRC, MSF, Humanity Crew, and, you know, save the children, and they help you will be different, this for sure. But what we're trying to do is to bring all the children to the maximum potential that they can have to, and they can achieve. And I think we can do this, and uh, we can do it by prevention, not by treating, because treatment, there's damage is already there. This will never be the same, for sure. There are now, uh, you know, so many places in the world where there's terrible suffering going on. Um, you know, the border between uh, uh, Burma and Bangladesh, uh, where Rohingya Muslims are being driven out of, uh, out of Burma. Families are being broken up. Uh, kids are ending up not even knowing where their parents are. Uh, in Sudan, we saw thousands of uh, children separated from their parents uh, raised by the state uh, in uh, places like Uganda, thousands in, in West Africa, in Sierra Leone, thousands and thousands of young boys turned into soldiers at 11 and 12 and 13 years old, um, encouraged to commit the most horrible crimes of, of violence. In a world with so much suffering, uh, how do you do the triage work? How do you finite, it's a world of a lot of suffering and finite resources. And it, it seems a big challenge to me when I, I'm not a professional, but I look at it and I think, you know, what do you do first and, and who do you help and how? It just seems so unimaginably big, the problem. Start by doing, you know. I sat home for, I think, five to six years. I coming, you know, I'm, I'm coming from Israel and Palestine. I'm, um, you know, we are the uh, 
the, we think that we are the, the most complicated or we are the center of the world. Of the, so uh, as a Palestinian living in Israel, and um, I, I think I remember myself around 2012, 11, I say, come on, that's it, khalas. I, I, I was just focused on my work. I decide to be a plastic surgeon after I finished my medical school, and I just uh, stopped going for demonstration. And I, I was just, you know, I dreamed about my big white Jeep and, and you know, the fancy house, and I will be rich. You know, you start doing this, but you don't feel really that this is what, what you don't feel good with yourself. Uh, and, and when I switched to child psychiatry and then I go to Greece for the first mission and things start change, you understand that you, you need to be, you will not s solve all the problems, but you will start with something. You will start with Omar on the beach. Uh, you will start with Ahmed in the hospital, with, uh, with Nadia and her kids. And, and you will see, okay, at least if I start in doing something, and someone else will do, and, and it, it will be a movement people will start to understand that this is what we should do. Um, and, and it's very important to know that you are doing this for yourself. I am not doing this for others. As I said, at the beginning, I decided to go for one direction. I go back and I become a child psychiatrist, and then I become like a human rights activist or, you know, working with refugees. I'm doing this for myself. It's a, a total selfish need, a total narcissistic need. To, to feel okay with myself because I know that these clothes that I wear now, um, you know, people in India working to color them and they die from cancer because all the, you know, polluted water, they drink it and they die. I know that my phone, there are children in Congo dugging and for the mines and, and North Africa dying for one dollar for this. So if I'm not aware of this, so you know, I, I just doing this so I can have feel because I cannot you know, be naked and not using phone or something. So I need this even. I, I need to feel okay with myself, so I'm giving back. And I think when we are aware that we are doing good just for ourselves, we will deliver this in a better way and, and with more, uh, you know, um, compassion and, 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 and being more human in our giving, not just, you know, a selfie and, and uh, um, um, yeah, it's a tourism of volunteering or, or something. Well, you mentioned that um, you could have been a plastic surgeon, and I mean, Haifa is a beautiful city in a wonderful place. Uh, you could have been giving people smaller noses and larger breasts, but instead you're doing this. Was it a gradual process or something that just clicked in your head that said, that's not me being of use to the world? That's not me being of use to myself. It's a funny story. <laughs> the switch was, and I was drinking a beer with my boss, um, the head of the department in, sur in, in surgery, and he told me, uh, he's like a second dad to me, he told me, son, you can't be a surgeon, you are good, you are my favorite, but you talk to people too much. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, I think you know you write articles in the newspaper about uh, the rights for doctors, and and we had a strike that time about our rights. Um, I think you need to be a child psychiatrist. There is no child psychiatrist in the Arab community. You know that there is none. Children are waiting for years, and you know I I went there. 
um, and I like it, I didn't like it, I started doing this. But even though it's like when they told me go to medical school, I said, okay, I will go, I have high marks, I, you know, I can, so I go there. I never felt this is what I want to do or not. So and it's the same when I go to the to, to child psychiatry. I didn't. I wasn't happy in in surgery. So, but it doesn't mean that the, the real transformation happened seven days after our first mission. Seven days after f our first mission, me and my wife were sitting in a coffee shop with friends. And I was telling all these crazy stories about CPRs and saving seven, 27 CPRs, 21 was successful, confirming death for 54 kids, and and telling all these crazy uh, stories and 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 showing picture from the New York Times. And there is like one picture in New York Times. I remember that they wrote an editorial, the Human Rights Watch, based on our testimonies, the people who work in the beach about an incident that uh, a shipwreck that happened in 28th of October 2015 and I was telling them how I save everyone and, and told them you see this kid I was in the boat I took it from Nicolas Nico the the Spanish lifeguards I did CPR he was totally dead and he was alive and I was so happy and um, and then my wife Maria came and she looked at the picture like this and she said ah this is Ahmed and everyone just stopped and because this is the first time since you know like three hours I was talking and talking and talking about you know what I say after that and diagnosed with myself with Superman syndrome um, it's the first time that there's a name for the people and 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 I and everyone said who's Ahmad and she said he's like a 12 years old 10 years old Syrian kid who came to the hospital of Mytilene on the 28th of October uh, after a successful CPR, so I just jumped. I said, yeah, it's me. She said, honey, you did all the successful and the unsuccessful one almost. <laughs> you were the only one. And and she said, he came to the, to, the, to the hospital and he was not reacting at all. We used to feed him with, with Zonda and they used to have catheter to give urine and they put a, a needle in his hand. He didn't cry and they used to close his eyes so he they can get drunk dry because he didn't sleep and she said how you know spontaneously she's not a mental health professional she's a lawyer she's studying at the George Washington and how she start hug him day after day and talking with him because there was no parents that moment and the third day he stopped moving and and he went down from bed and they walked together and he go to the glass door of the department he put his hand and he said for the first time, the first three words, he said, Anabit debate. Anabit, it was, I, I want home in Arabic. And when she said this story, everyone almost was crying, and I start crying like crazy. I think this is the moment that I understand that I used also in the first mission, I used to be a surgeon. I, I wasn't a, a child psychiatrist. This is, was my entry ticket to the boats. That's why they make me be in the front line, you know, all the other rescuers, because I was the only doctor, I wasn't a child. I didn't give attention. And I think this is the first time that I understand. I, I start crying and telling everyone, I was like hysteric, say, what, what I did, I create robots with my hands. I am the child psychiatrist. I am the one who, I am, I'm the one who speak Arabic. I was, no one else should understand these things. Why? And I think this was the point that I understand 
the importance of mental health really and I was accepting that being a child psychiatrist or a mental health professional is not just you know uh, compromising for not being a surgeon and and 21 days after that in 28 of November we sent our first team of, of mental health professionals and I think this is the moment I get in peace with myself and I did this transformation after weeks at a time sort of on the humanitarian front line not the battle front line um, do you need to talk to a therapist yourself? Sure. Um, and when I, um, I went back because I, was, I lost it. Um, there's a, a known video called, uh, I think AFP called it, uh, um, a volunteer cries for help because I start crying there. And I, I used to have nightmares um, until now sometimes I have hearing voices run to the beach, say there's a boat, and you know, my friends bring me back, say some there's nothing. I used to ha I had um, a girl that I found, and she was with me in the car, she's, um, she's dead, and I remember with myself talking to her. So um, going back at the beginning, it was because I couldn't handle it. Um, and without therapy, I couldn't succeed to manage. I think humanity crew is, part of the therapy that I'm going through until now. Um, and that's why all our volunteers, for example, for example, go for 30 hours of training before they travel and we follow them during their mission and after they come back and our workers too, they have an, an therapist uh, through Skype every week and if they ask for a, you know, that they can handle it and our missions in three months uh, because uh, as a therapist, you are a tool uh, and, and using the, and you use this tool to, to, to help people. If this tool is broken, you cannot help them. And the problem that you also can do harm to them. So this is like one of the first things that we take care of this. We, you need to take care of yourself. I wish I was optimistic enough to think that we're going to stop wars, uh, that we're going to stop uh, domestic conflicts inside borders that create refugees. I don't think we are, not anytime soon. So without that, because that's going back to the root cause, if we can't go back to the root cause, what's the second best thing we can do? For people who are not in their homes, for people who are not in their home countries, for people who are uprooted, uh, until that day when human beings start treating each other a little better, uh, what can we do in the meantime? Vote for the right people. I think um, someone who's sitting in, uh, you know, Milwaukee or in, in, in Haifa or in, in, in Berlin, vote for the right people. Uh, and the right people who are the people who are looking at, um, at, at, at the whole picture, that we are part of the world. It's not the one who promised that will make Milwaukee better or the U.S. great again or Berlin stronger or Haifa more beautiful. The one who will say that we are part of this, you know, globe and, and we need take, to take care of each other. And I think this is the small contribution that we can start with by voting to the good people because it's not just about war. We have refugees now, climate refugees. 
that are moving because of the climate. We have refugees coming from, from Africa. I also work in boats in the Mediterranean in front of Libyan coast. They are, some of them running from war, but some, some of them just, you know, they saw that Europe is so nice and they say, okay, I want, I want it also. Um, and, and so by voting for the right people, Africa will change and, and US will change and the Middle East and Europe and we will accept each other, and it starts by this, I think. Right now, today, there are millions of people in camps in the region. Lebanon, the, the population of Lebanon has grown by like 40% just from refugees. When those people go home, what kind of help are they going to need then? Is it going to change? Are they going to need different sort of mental health services to be resettled? Uh, uh, you are very optimistic that they will go home. Um, you know, the Lebanese still have the Palestinian refugees from 48 until now, and the Syrian used to have the Palestinian refugees and they sent it now to Greece. Um, you know, I met Palestinians, they used to be refugees in Lebanon, and they moved in 67 to Syria, and they moved now to, to Greece. Uh, you know, the average is 14 years to come back and resettle. So to make people go back, you, you need them to be strong. You know, um, I think one of the, the major obstacles of refugees is dealing with the, um, you know, the state of mind of being a refugee. Now camps is open, but they, we teach them, the system teach them, to wait for the fish, not go and fish. They, we don't celebrate their strength. We welcome them with, oh, you are poor, come give me the baby. If you are strong enough, go to the Turkey side, take his baby and cross the sea. He already had the baby all the way. He arrived at the shore. Why you took his baby? You just make him panic more. So let's celebrate their strength. France won the World Cup with almost 80% of refugees and immigrants in their national team. You know, diversity can make us look better. Babies look better when we have mixed. My, my wife is half Russian. I just give birth. We have a baby now. Baby Alma, is, she's, she's like, she's so beautiful, not just because she's my, 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 my girl. It's because it's a mix. And I think diversity can make us just more beautiful and more, you know, um, more human. Um, and, and, and this is what, what we need to achieve, to celebrate the strength of these people and to celebrate the diversity, not the opposite. Dr. Essam Daoud, thank you very much for talking to us. A pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much.